Welcome to Writer Types, the podcast all the kids are talking about for author interviews, book reviews, short fiction, and more from across the crime and mystery fiction world. My name is Eric Beatner. Beside me is my co-host, S.W. Loudon. Hi, Steve. Hey there, Eric. Today on the show, things get off to a rocky start in our interview with Johnny Shaw. That was just so stupid. Like, why would you ask that to anyone? You can't win answering that question. And author Sue Ann Jafarian lays down the ground rules for our interview. No sex no violence, no swearing. And we get out of the studio for the latest night of Noir at the Bar Los Angeles. All that plus a short story from Jen Connolly, book reviews from Dan and Kate Melman, and a little bit of rock and roll. But first, Steve, have you read any good books lately? Yeah, Eric, I actually read a very fascinating book by an author named Sean McDaniel. The book's called Criminal Zoo. And I would describe it as a mix between dystopian fiction, crime fiction, and horror fiction. And the hook of this book is that crime and punishment has gotten to a place in America where they create a supermax prison for serial killers that allows members of the public to pay money to torture the killers. So I could go and torture a serial killer? Yes. For fun. For fun and to get your aggression out. Okay. But the book really makes you think about crime and punishment and, you know, kind of ask some tough questions about how far off are we really from this kind of a setup in modern America. So I, I thought it was a great read. How about you? You read anything good? You know, I've been thinking a lot about books that stick with you. And I have had a book sort of stuck in my head ever since I read it late last year. Uh, a book called House of Blazes by Dietrich Calteus. And it was a very different read, I think, for me, because it's technically a crime novel, but it's also a period set in the early 1900s around the San Francisco earthquake and fires that just devastated that city. And the prose is so unique. Dietrich has just a great way of, of spinning a sentence. And then the plot was just sort of breakneck pace of these guys trying to recover this stolen gold but in the midst of the city literally crumbling and then burning around them. But there's just something about that book, House of Blazes, that has stuck with me for this long. And I just, I, I've, that's such a mark of a great book for me. I really appreciate the reminder because you and I did an event with Dietrich uh, at the end of last year. Yeah. And I've been meaning to read it. So I think I'll put that at the top of my uh, pile now. Highly recommended. So Steve, have you ever been out to the Imperial Valley in uh, Southern California? I've been through. Have you? I've also driven through it. It's not exactly the kind of place that you stop and, and stay for very long. But I feel like I've spent a lot of time there because I've read the Jimmy Veter books by our first guest, Johnny Shaw. And Johnny has carved out his own genre. We already have mystery, thriller, noir, but Shaw brands this series of books as Jimmy Veter fiascos. Well, we started off by asking him what kind of trouble Jimmy is getting into now. The thing is, it's like the third book in a series, even though I will tell you what it's about, it feels kind of silly to actually pitch the story. Like if you've read the earlier ones, it's essentially the same shtick in a different place. It builds on the characters. It's You, you kind of know what you're getting, or hopefully you know what you're getting right delivered. If you haven't read the series, you know what? I'm a purist. Read the first one. Don't read this one. And then <laughs> you don't even have to. I, I think that's a perfectly legitimate answer. I think it's an interesting idea because when you do a series, there's all sorts of like how-to books, now that I would read them, on how to write your first novel. There's not a lot of information on how to write the third book in a series. For this book, I intended it to be three books. 
And because I wanted to write one book about the border, I wanted to write one book that was about the desert, and I wanted to write one book that was about Mexico. So this one happened, half of it happens in Mexico. Now with the current political environment and the way immigration and the border, I can't write a book, a new Jimmy Vitor book. I, I never write a series right in order. I always write a book in between because I don't want to just write the same thing twice. But I also have no idea what the Mexican border is going to look like if this book came out in whatever the hell, 2019 or whatever it is. I should just set everything in a post-apocalyptic world and then... <laughs> You're ripped from the headlines. Uh, on accident. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the spacing between Jimmy Veter books. Are you intentionally set out to write a very different kind of novel to cleanse your palate a bit? Yeah, I very intent, uh, unless you, if you brought me like a dump truck full of money, I would write another Jimmy Veter book. <laughs> I'm gonna that I, got it. I got it in me. I like writing them. They're very fun to write. No, my choice was to write Jimmy Veter book. And then I wrote Big Maria. I wrote a Jimmy Veter book. I wrote Floodgate. And I'm writing a new book now. And that isn't the Jimmy Veter book. So the two elements I want in my writing and what I ask when I read is for the work to be ambitious and the work to be deliberate. Like I'm going to probably soon write what I would call a straight novel where I don't go for as many jokes. Not because I think that's better. It's just because it's interesting to try that. But, and also the, the work being delivered is really important with the product that you're putting out is exactly what you want it to be. I read so much stuff that's like a draft shy and I really feel like there's a lack of care that can, that's being put in work currently often because of people wanting to get so much work out there. Something I, I feel like those comments are slightly directed directly at us. Am I reading into that? or No, because I, I obviously I don't read your books. Um, <laughs> so how would I know? How could I possibly know? <laughs> now, you once told me in a conversation that you actually don't really care if your stories make sense and that you read mostly for voice. Is that something that you still stick by? Yeah, it's not a high priority that my stories make sense. My stories aren't overly complex. Like I'm not a big plotter. There's not an intricate thing. So I'm really looking for scenes, moments, and depth of character. When I set a book down after I read it, I could give you a rough idea of what the story was about, but I would mostly remember scenes and characters. Who cares? I mean, and then my editor will tell me, remind me that Thursday comes after Wednesday or whatever I did stupid in the book. Like, I like stuff that's a little rough around the edges. You know, you're not, you're just not going to make the Ramones better by getting rid of the distortion. I'd say one of my favorite quotes that I used to have taped onto my computer monitor, it was a quote from the screenwriter, Paul Schrader. And he said, I learned a long time ago that an audience would rather be confused than bored. And I thought that was so true. Absolutely. It's, uh, I think John for, it was either Ford or Hawks said about directing John Wayne, just give him two or three good scenes and the rest of the time, make sure he's not annoying. One thing that we wanted to do, John, is we did a search for the worst interview questions that have ever possibly been asked. So we have a selection of these and we figured who better to ask some of these questions than to you. These are actual questions that have been asked in interviews. You ready for this? All right, hit me. Let's, let's see what happens. What would your worst enemy say about you? Oh, wow. Uh, that really froze me. God, I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to actually picture who my worst enemy is. I, I got plenty of... Um, can I, I'm going to come back to that one. Pass. 
If we came to your house for dinner, what would you prepare for us? Uh, that would just be like a Mexican feast. That'd be carnitas and, and tacos and tortillas. Like, I mean, that's just a straight answer. Like, I mean, I do all the cooking in my house. So like never trust a writer who can't cook. What would your last boss say about you? Uh, you're fired. Um, I think that's literally the last. So it was, you're fired. Fuck you, I quit. <laughs> so I guess it's like it was mutual. <laughs> How about this? What did you want to be when you were 10 years old? I, th I think I wanted to be a veterinarian. For a long time, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I grew up on a farm. I was around animals. I liked animals. Yeah, simple as that. Speaking of being a veterinarian, if you could speak to one type of animal, what animal would you choose? That's real. Someone asked that to an Like, why would you ask that to anyone, let alone <laughs> um, a panda? Because they would have a cute, they would have really quiet voices. And they seem like they'd be interesting. I don't think I would speak, you know, I might not speak the same way. It would still just be gibberish. Yeah, they speak, well, they speak Chinese, obviously. Yeah, clearly, obviously. What would you choose as your last meal? Fried chicken. Yeah, fried chicken. I, I would eat that every day. Which would probably kill you. Yeah, exactly. If you were a betting man, who would you wager on in a fight between a ninja and a pirate? <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> that was just so stupid. Like, I can't believe someone... Like they honestly wanted to know the answer. They were like, you know what's eating at me? <laughs> a ninja or a pirate, which I can't even, I can't do that one. It would be a tie. They would become friends and open their own detective agency. I think you have your next non-Jimmy Veter book. <laughs> I'd write that, yeah. Well, Johnny was a real trooper to answer those terrible interview questions, but I can't believe he could not commit to a, a winner between pirates and ninjas. Clearly, it's pirates, right? I mean, obviously, it's pirates. Um, I've seen pirates fight ninjas several times, and every time the pirates come out as the victors. <laughs> That's one of those theme restaurants, yeah. right? Like, yes, right. <laughs> now, Steve, you and I both used to play in bands. Yes, uh, some of us were more successful than others. All right, I, I can't argue with you on that. But we've also both written characters with a strong link to the music world. So this time on our Unpanel, we threw out a question about the link between crime fiction and music to our trio of authors. And here to answer that question are authors Alex Segura, Joe Clifford, and Corey Lynn Feynman. Hey, this is Alex Segura. I'm the author of the Pete Fernandez mystery series, which includes Silent City, Down the Darkest Street, and the upcoming Dangerous Ends, which is hitting April 11th from Polis Books. I live in New York City, uh, Miami, where the books are set is my hometown. Music's a big thing for me. It's a passion and an obsession in many ways. I've done both sides of it. I've been in bands, played shows, recorded uh, an EP at some point. Uh, music's also a big part of my fiction. The main character is, you know, loaded with musical references. You find stuff calling out the Pixies, Talking Heads, Nico Case, Elvis Costello, Wilco, Lou Reed, and The Clash, just to name a few. We have a ton of overlap, uh, Pete and I, in terms of musical taste. For me, music helps paint a picture for what I'm trying to write, and it amplifies the mood a bit. I, I use it for important scenes, and I, I use a specific song. The challenge uh, when using music in fiction, I find, is to uh, not let the reference overpower the point. Don't try to shoehorn or name drop a band just to do it. Um, it has to fit, and it has to push the story forward. My name is Joe Clifford. I'm from El Cerrito, California. I'm the author of the Jay Porter Thriller series, including Lamentation and the upcoming Give Up the Dead. Before embarking on the mystery writing career, I was a failed rock and roller in San Francisco back in the 90s. My musical background certainly influences my writing. There's a cadence, a rhythm 
to the language I use that I feel is a direct result of my playing rock. I still play. I don't play out much, but I play piano, guitar around the house, and this shapes my style. Moreover, each book I write gets a soundtrack that I play on my computer while I'm writing it, and the mood definitely affects the narrative and tone. There's one song in particular that has impacted the Jay Porter series, Gordon Lightfoot's Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Astute readers can pick out lyrical allusions in each book. The song's depiction of a shipping accident on the Great Lakes mirrors the landscape I write about. My taste is pretty eclectic. I enjoy contemporary pop and rock, which can make the playlists along with replacements and Taylor Swift. This is Corey Lynn Feynman calling from San Diego, California. I'm the author of the Raleigh Waters mystery series, including Porterfield Blues and Desert City Diva. Raleigh Waters is a blues rock guitar player who works part-time as a private detective. So I use music as both a background to the story and as a key component of Raleigh's character. Blues are the truth, right? And Raleigh is a man trying to face up to his own truths. Blues are catharsis. Playing guitar is the one thing that keeps Raleigh's demons at bay. There's always a couple of musical clues that help Raleigh solve his case. It could be a missing item hidden in a guitar case, a girl's photograph on a CD cover, or even an unusual homemade instrument that makes alternative use of tunings. Raleigh and his band are semi-famous in their hometown too, so I have them playing gigs at local dives, nightclubs, and parties. I used to play those kinds of venues myself. Late nights, dark alleys, dangerous women, desperate characters. Sounds like a crime novel to me. If you have a question for our Unpanel, find us on Twitter at WriterTypes and let us know what question you'd like a panel of authors to respond to. Well, in addition to appearing here with us on WriterTypes, it's every author's dream to read for Noir at the Bar. I've really enjoyed all the times I've read in Los Angeles and in other places around the country. And I've enjoyed hosting the LA events, but I feel bad for people who are too far from one of the cities where these events are held. And for people who've never even heard of Noir at the Bar. Well, I think we can help with that, Steve. At the latest event here in Los Angeles, we brought our portable writer type studio with us, so now you can feel like you're right there. Plus, we provide a little mini history lesson of this live reading institution. So here we are at the Mandrake Bar on Los Angeles Boulevard. Let's have a noir at the bar. Hey, this is Eric, and I'm sitting here with my Noir at the Bar co-host, Stephen Blackmore, and we've been doing this since 2011, is that right? 2011? That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, we've had, I think we've had over 100 readers at this point, right? God, yeah, easily. Yeah. Good for us. Yeah. Jed Ayers and Scott Phillips had been doing this in St. Louis for a couple of years that I knew about. I had no idea of the long history of it going all the way back to Philadelphia and Peter Rosowski. I didn't know mm-hmm. any of that part of it. But when the bookstores started closing down, specifically like the mystery, mystery bookstore book in Westwood, yeah, yeah, then all of a sudden I wasn't having that central hub, that place where I was meeting other crime writers. So that that was my big motivation is I want a, a gathering place for crime writers and crime readers again in LA. It's like any other reading, but we're in an unusual setting. We've got a very tight focus on on the kinds of things that we want to have, right. And also, we have, I think, kind of a a no-holds-barred policy in terms of what people can read. For me, it's always been as much about the gathering as about the readings. Like, you know, we set out not to make something that is primarily a book-selling event or a promotion event. Yeah. 
that's the most important part for me is the social aspect of it. Welcome back to Los Angeles to Noir at the Bar. Thanks everyone for coming out. Hi, I'm Glenn Eric Hamilton. I'm the author of Past Crimes and Hard Cold Winter, and I'm at my first Noir at the Bar for L.A. For L.A., have you read at other Noir at the Bars? I've never read at Noir at the Bars, but I've been to them because there always seems to be one whenever there's a mystery convention. Yes. Whenever you go to a mystery convention, there's a Noir at the Bar That's my in fault. the host city. That's your fault. Yes. So I, I have you to blame for the hangovers then. <laughs> Are you someone who enjoys getting up and reading in front of an audience? I do. I do. I have a, I have a theater background, for one thing, so the show-off nature is, is automatically there. But also, it's amazing how many mistakes and errors and just bad decisions you catch when you're reading your own stuff out loud. <laughs> Hopefully, not in front of a large audience like this. All right, I'm here at the bar with the owner of the Mandrake, and you were so kind to us way back when, when we first came to you with this crazy idea to let people invade and shut off the music and tell everyone to be quiet and oh by the way we're not going to pay you any money why did you say yes i <laughs> uh, guess it was interesting to us and that you know, that's kind of all it it's all it takes if there's something that appeals to us we always say yes now what would you say is the most noir cocktail like if you were going to sit down and watch double indemnity what drink would you mix uh, probably an old fashioned or a martini on the rocks all right. that's what i would think It's one of the most gratifying things for me is giving up-and-coming writers, and a lot of cases unpublished writers, yeah. their first ever public readings. That's one of the things that we've been wanting to push is not just say, okay, yes, we've got named writers. Oh, I'm sorry, you're not good enough for us, you right. know, unpublished writers. Like, no, fuck that. Come in here. We're all on the same level no matter how many times we've done this. We've had a lot of people come out, do their first reading, and then when they come back, tonight's a good example, Nolan Knight, when mm. he's coming back now for his second time with his debut novel. Like, that's a really cool thing. He's a local boy. Let's give him a warm welcome, Mr. Nolan Knight. My name is Nolan Knight. My debut novel is called The Neon Lights Are Veins. Now this is your second time reading in a noir at the bar, is that right? It is, yeah. 2013, January, I think, was the you, first time. Obviously it was a memorable experience. It was fun. I had a good time. I mean, I was at the first one with uh, Dwayne and um, All right. Stephen read there. Or no, you read there. Yeah, me and Stephen both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously we were not so memorable. <laughs> No, I mean, <laughs> you come out to a reading at the bar and they all just kind of mesh together. And well, thanks again for having me out back then. I mean, well, it's very exciting because now you're back yeah. with your debut novel. Do you like to get out and read? Is it something you enjoy? You know, it's something that I'm kind of getting my legs with. This is a whole new side of uh, publishing that I haven't even really, one, thought about, or two, uh, you know, I'm going through. I think Noir at the Bar was the first time I read in public and then I kind of avoided it for a couple years. <laughs> John Lansing, The Devil's Necktie was my first in the series, the Jack Bertolino series. I just finished the first draft of The Fourth Gunman, so I'm like very pleased. It's like now the process starts. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's a good you. feeling. So what's it like for you then after all that work and all that time to get out and be able to present it to a live crowd at a reading? I've never done it before. What? 
This is my first. You're kidding me. This is my virgin experience. We have a noir at the bar virgin? We yeah, no kidding. Wow. They had no idea. Did you bring this special no, knife? No, no, <laughs> man. <laughs> Sarah M. Chen, and I wrote the noir novella Cleaning Up Finn. I'm Travis Richardson. I have two novellas out. One's called Keeping the Record. The other is called Lost in Clover. And I'm reading from Stranger at a Bar. It's going to be in the inaugural issue of Switchblade magazine. And Sarah's going to be reading the part of Jolene. I'm the um, wannabe stripper chick. You wannabe? You're not an actual stripper? I don't think she is. I think she wants to be. Well, so she has talents. Uh, she and her boyfriend come into the bar and uh, they make a big scene. The regulars turn to the woman. She flashes a lascivious smile, the kind lingerie models and porn stars perfect. How are you boys doing tonight? Because when we met you, you didn't have a book out, you you didn't have a wife or a child, and you have all three of those <laughs> right. things now. Exactly. You're you got, welcome. You guys are great. Yeah. <laughs> what would I do without you? Noir at the bar. <laughs> You just finished your reading. How'd it go? It felt great. Um, nobody threw anything this time. So, you know, if I get out of it without any bruises or tomato stains, I'm always happy. So. <laughs> well, Stephen, another one in the books. Yeah. Went well. Excellent. I thought it went really well. All right. Another night of bringing crime fiction to Los Angeles. And then we come back in another couple of months and do it all again, hopefully for another six years. You know, we mentioned them briefly in there, but I do want to acknowledge the founders, Peter Rozovsky from Philadelphia, and then Scott Phillips and Jedediah Ayers, who took the idea and really ran with it in St. Louis. And all of us now who do these events all across the country and even now in the UK, we owe a big debt of gratitude to these gentlemen. And I also have to explain to the listeners that Steve was running the boards, as they say in the biz, and that's why he got caught mostly off microphone. Sorry about that, Steve. I actually said a lot into the microphone. Did you not hit record? <laughs> that was You were in charge of these things. I was talking to myself, Eric. Oh. <laughs> But we had a great night and captured a ton of great audio, so much so that we couldn't use it all. So we have a special bonus episode of Writer Types coming very soon. That is an all Noir at the Bar LA special featuring extended interviews as well as authors not heard like Jordan Harper, Josh Stallings, and more. And if you subscribe to the podcast, that bonus episode will be automatically delivered to you. So that's a good reason to subscribe right there. You know, all this talk about reading really gets me in the mood for a short story. Well, we are in luck because one of the organizers of the New York Noir at the Bar, funnily enough, is here with a story for us from the archives of Shotgun Honey. Every episode, our partners at Shotgun Honey hand-select a short story for you, and we invite the author to read you that story. Shotgun Honey is the premier website for flash fiction under 700 words, so to get your quick fix of crime fiction, go to shotgunhoney.com. Now here with the story is Jen Conley. Goals. She was a pretty girl, 14, romantic in her thoughts, still a kid. The house she lived in backed up to a line of scrub pines and skinny oaks before opening into an endless beige desert of abandoned gravel pits. Fire trails and narrow paths ran along the perimeter of the forgotten excavation with dirt arteries that shot off into the unknown. Her name was Heather. She'd gone walking, thinking, and before long, she was standing on the other side of the pits, 
at the edge, far from her house in the next township. The wind blew and the trees behind her rustled. She turned and looked into the forest. Something moved. She bit her lip and sucked in her breath. He appeared from the trees wearing a black jacket and hood, dark jeans, his hands stuffed in his pockets. You got something to drink? he asked when he reached her. Heather saw that he was thin and young, about her age, and he seemed cold. No, she said, shaking her head. You got any food? No. He nodded and took out a box of cigarettes. He offered her one, but she didn't smoke. I'm Ben, the voice said. He lit a cigarette with a brown lighter. Heather saw that his fingernails were dirty, as were his jeans. Deep shadows hung under his gray eyes. A few freckles ran across his nose. Are you lost? she asked. Ben smiled. His teeth were crooked. No, I know where I am. Where do you live? Can you get me some food? Do you need help? I need something to eat. She studied him for a moment, thinking she should be afraid, but wasn't. Okay, stay here. You gonna get me some food? Yes, she said, and she turned and walked away. In her house, there was no one at home. She made two cheese and bologna sandwiches, wrapped them in tinfoil, and grabbed a few bags of potato chips. She almost forgot the soda and napkins, but she didn't. Before she left, she applied mascara to her eyelashes. The sky was overcast, heavy with gray clouds. She hiked along the trails, searching ahead of her, across the beige hole in the earth, looking out for Ben. She smelled cigarette smoke before she noticed him leaning against a tree. She handed Ben the bag of food, and, with the cigarette hanging from his mouth, he peered inside. He nodded. They sat on the ground, overlooking the great hole in the earth. Ben ate quickly. There was something off about him, she thought. Are you a runaway? Ben shrugged. Sort of. Where are your parents? He opened a can of soda, sipped it, and then gazed at her. She was hoping he thought she was pretty. They spoke for a while. He asked about her school and teachers and her mom and friends. They chatted about music, but he wasn't up on the newer bands. She tried to talk to him about television shows. He didn't know anything but old cartoons. The clouds grew heavier and more grim. And then, a man and a girl appeared. They emerged from the forest like ghouls, dressed in dark green and black, their hands and faces dirty. The girl hung behind the man, her head cast down, her legs skinnier than awful, but her lips ruby red with lipstick, like a child prostitute Heather had just seen in a movie. The man was young, long-faced, with silver earrings in his left ear, silver rings around his fingers. Get up, he growled. Ben didn't. He stared at the gravel pits. Heather was terrified and pulled herself up from the ground. She looked at the man, the girl, Ben. The man stepped forward, dropped his hand to the side, and produced a gun from his pants pocket. He stuck it into Ben's back. Get up. Heather sucked in her breath, tried not to cry out. The girl with the skinny legs and red lips just stared. Ben stood, turned slowly, and walked into the forest, the man close behind. The girl 
trailed after them. Heather watched until they disappeared. Finally, fear set in. She ran all the way home. For a longer taste of Jen Conley's short fiction, check out her collection Cannibals, which is out now. It's really good. And as always, visit ShotgunHoney.com for more flash fiction. You're listening to Writer Types. I'm Steve Loudon. And I'm Eric Beatner. This episode, our sponsor is the California Crime Writers Conference, which takes place each year in, uh, Steve, care to guess which state? I'm not in the mood to play games. Just hit play. Hi, I'm Rochelle Staub. I'm the co-chairman of the 2017 California Crime Writers Conference. And if you're interested in upping your writing skills, talking to an agent, meeting an editor, then the California Crime Writers Conference, June 10th and 11th in Los Angeles, is for you. Our 32 sessions cover facets of the writer's journey from research, writing, and editing to submitting, selling, and marketing. Panels feature editors and agents, law enforcement and forensic experts, publishing industry professionals, and seasoned authors, including this year's guests of honor, William Ken Kruger and Hallie Efron. Our small size is our biggest asset, creating a congenial atmosphere between attendees and faculty. Agents and editors come to scout talent and find it. Our daytime sessions are tailored to information, contacts, and opportunity. Our evening mixers offer fellowship and fun. Sounds good, right? For details and registration, go to ccwconference.org. Well, from California to Minnesota now to check in with our friends and book reviewers, the Malmans. Can you define the phrase friends? Acquaintances. Work associates. We work with them on the podcast. Yes. I like Kate. (laughs) She's like the sugar that makes the medicine of Dan go down. (laughs) That's really what it is. Enough said. (laughs) Dan and Kate Malman join us each episode on loan from Crime Spree, where they are reviewers of novels and comics and all things crime and mystery. All right, look, Steve, it's our two saints from St. Paul. How are you doing, guys? Good, how are you guys? We're great. Kate, I just want to say before we kick off that in my book, you are two for two. Uh, You recommended Jess Lurie's Salem Cipher, and I loved it. And my wife and I are now watching Sneaky Pete on Netflix, and it is phenomenal. So thank you for your recommendations. Awesome, you're welcome. All right, what do you have for us this time? So this is our all novella review segment. Ooh. Yes. Novellas have kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit on our end. So not too long ago, um, Hector Acosta had The Hard Way come out from Shotgun Honey Down and Out. And it really hit home. It's just a solid piece of storytelling. And again, the novella is a shorter form, but nothing felt rushed. Nothing felt stretched out. Just a really satisfying read. As fans discover this book, people are going to find that it crosses a ton of different genre lines. But it, it's... The story is going to appeal to wrestling fans, to people that like more of a young adult take, but it deals with themes of loneliness and adolescence and trying to doing your own thing, but suddenly you have to do the adult thing. I really think people are going to like this book. Yeah, I read it as well, and I thought it had a lot of heart. When you guys are reading novellas, is the brevity of the stories one of the appeals? Good question. I mean, it's like a palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're done reading a long work of fiction or, or whatever, and then you want to watch your favorite movie or um, read some comics in the meantime, I'm really liking novellas as a reset. Yeah. yeah. The book I read right before was this really intense, heavy book. So it was nice to have something light and a little bit easier and something that I could kind of 
make my way through and enjoy reading and have that accomplishment of I got this done quickly. And I'm sorry, Steve, but you already read my recommendation for this week. It's Cleaning Up Finn by Sarah Chen. Oh, yes. I've read that too. So for as sweet as the hard way is, <laughs> Cleaning Up Finn is pretty much the opposite, <laughs> where the main character, Finn Rouse, is a morally loose kind of guy, you know, likes his booze, will hit on anything that moves. And one night he takes out a woman for a night of booze on his friend's uh, sailboat. Then he finds out that she's underage, comes back the next morning and she's gone. It's a great read. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Sarah Chen read At the Noir at the Bar in New Orleans this last year and blew us away. As soon as we had heard her at Noir at the Bar, we're like, I got to find this book. We got to read this. If you haven't had a chance, she wrote a short story uh, that's called, I believe, The Donut Dealer. Yep. Yeah, he wrote it on Craig Jones. No, it's I'll read anything about a donut. I mean, so. (laughs) Sure. You know, Steve, one of my dirty little secrets is that I am obsessed with the cute puns that Cozy Mysteries use in their titles. I have to tell you, I'm kind of disappointed in that dirty little secret. Well, I'm sorry. It's as dirty as I get. But some of my favorites uh, include stuff like Corpse on the Cob, right? Rhythm and Clues, Thugs and Kisses. And all of those are part of the Odelia Gray series by our next guest, Sue Ann Jafarian. Sue Ann also writes The Ghost of Granny Apple's Mysteries and more, over 20 books and counting, all delivering clever mysteries in a fun story. Now, I have to ask you, are you legally bound to have like a cute pun for a cozy title? Legally, no. I've actually come up with some other titles, but my publisher has nixed them and put their own on there, and we've had some pretty spicy fights over it. Really? I mean, there are things I've wanted that haven't been quite so punny and cutesy pod, and they've shot them down. Is that, are you trying to break away from that uh, punny cutesy pie image? Because that seems like what definitely rules the roost in the cozy world. Yeah, but my, um, with my Ghost of Granny Apples books, Penguin never fought me on titles. That was fine. That's a true cozy. But my Odelia Gray books are not that cozy. And uh, there's sex in them, there's swearing, there's all this, and I get a lot of flack from readers who say, that's not a cozy. And there's a couple times I've won my fight for the title. The one I'm writing now is the last under contract, and it's called Too Big to Die. And I told my agent I will not change that title. You know, it's not that I'm trying to break away, I'm trying to find the title that matches the story. And if somebody hears, you know, cutesy little stuff, they're going to be kind of misled. So Eric and I are both hard-boiled guys. Can you tell us what makes a cozy a cozy? Well, I can tell you, I just write books, okay? I didn't know what a cozy was until somebody slapped that label on me like a sticky booger. Um, (laughs) But traditionally, what makes a cozy in the traditional sense is no sex, no violence, no swearing, Um, everything like that happens off camera. They're nice, they're sweet, they usually take place in a more confined environment, like a a small town. That's what a traditional cozy would be. Your character of Odelia, like yourself, she's a paralegal of a certain age, uh, and now we know that she has a trucker's mouth and uh, enjoys the, the bedroom. So how much of yourself do you put in those books? 
Well, Odelia is much more closer to me than Emma Whitecastle in my granny books. I mean, you know, she's tall, thin, blonde, and rich. Odelia is, you know, middle-aged, works in a law firm. She actually dresses better and swears less than I do in person. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, and it's not that she has a trucker's mouth, but I'm allowed to put naughty words in there. You know, there's a lot of times Odelia's saying things I want to say, you know, because it's written in first person, so if in my head I want to call somebody a dumbass, I can. Where I would not say that in person. I may think it, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> the beauty of fiction. The beauty of fiction, you know? I mean, sometimes you're in the mood to write something gritty, and sometimes you're in the mood to write something fun. And I've resented being boxed in by publishers. So you're going to be seeing a wider variety from me in the future. I'm excited. I'm not a cozy gal. Let's put it that way. Don't let the gray hair fool you. You know, earlier in the show, we talked to some writers about how they weave rock and roll into their fiction. Your new Odelia Gray mystery is titled Rhythm and Clues. How'd you choose that theme? Well, I kind of had this idea that um, there would be a missing rock star in a story. I had that story idea several books ago, and it finally worked its way into the queue, you know, sat and waited for its turn. There has to be a reason why the protagonist is invested in the search for the truth. And so I thought, what would get Odelia invested in that? So it's a rock star that she was, uh, had a crush on when she was in college. And so that's how that came about. I thought about, what would I do? Well, yeah, there were rock stars that I really liked and followed when I was in high school and college. I have to know, Sue, who who were the uh, rock stars that you were obsessed with and stalking in your youth? Oh, that was when, uh, you know, and this is telling my age, that was Jim Morrison and The Doors and, uh, you know, Janis Joplin. Were you out cruising the Sunset Strip looking for Jim at the whiskey? No. Don't tell anyone that I went to a Bible college. We weren't allowed to do that. But that didn't <laughs> mean I didn't enjoy the music. <laughs> We'll do our best not to tell anybody, but you realize okay. we're recording right now, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sue Ann is definitely someone who has a lot of ideas, and I can totally relate to not wanting to get tagged as one type of writer or another. Yeah, genre is really tough when you're writing because you just want to tell the story that you want to tell in the way that you want to tell it. And, you know, it's up to other people to sort of decide where the book falls once it's been published. Well, I appreciate Sue Ann for catching us for falling into that same trap. And I can confirm after knowing her for a while that she, she's right. A cozy gal, she is not. But she is a lot of fun and a great writer. Okay, we've learned some interesting things today. Johnny Shaw taught us that eating fried chicken is a splendid way to die. Sue Ann Jafarian taught us that genre definitions are not one size fits all. And from what I gathered, reading at Noir at the Bar will get you a book deal, a spouse, and a child. Well, that does it for this episode. We'd like to thank all of our guests and contributors for joining us. You can find us on Facebook, and don't forget to rate us in the iTunes store or on Stitcher. You can subscribe if you like what you hear. This show is produced and edited by Eric Beatner and S.W. Loudon. You can find out more about Steve's books, including the upcoming Crossed Bones at swloudon.com. And you can find out about Eric's books, including his next novel, The Devil at Your Door, at ericbeatner.com. Join us next time when we talk to more writer types. Thanks for listening.